and you can <clears throat> open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 45, verse 9, and we'll cover through chapter 47, verse 12. And like I said before, we're not going to read the whole thing because we'd be here uh, a long time, just, just those passages. But uh, what we're going to cover is covered in these passages, and I'm going to refer to the pertinent scriptures as we go along. And, and as I always encourage you, and Pastor Tony, uh, Tony does too, is, is always read ahead. And, and, and find out what's in the scriptures. That way, you know, you'll know. And what's really neat is when God speaks to you, you'll be super blessed. Much, much more than, than if I, I mention it to you or, you know, you get something out of it. But when you read and God speaks to you, man, you'll know. And, and it'll just cause you to want to dive in on your own and just uh, check out the scriptures. So Joseph, the family shepherd. That's the title for tonight. Joseph, the family shepherd. In our last time together, remember Joseph, after 20 years, revealed himself to his brothers. And they had this wonderful reuniting, this reunion kind of a thing. 20 years earlier, as I said, Joseph, if you remember, he was the overseer of his family. Remember, he got, his father gave him the coat, the coat of many colors, which was symbolic of, of being a leader, of someone who was overseer, an overseer. And he was the overseer of his family. But because he was an overseer in a family, in a sense, those responsibilities really ended up putting him into slavery because his brothers were envious. They were, didn't like that he was the leader over them. You know, like a lot of people, you know, that when somebody come, becomes a leader, a lot of times, you know, you, you become their enemy. And, and it, it, you know, I, I, when I was in the military and we were in basic training, when we first started out in, in basic training, we were all pretty much, we were all the same. We had no rank, we had no position. We were, we were just there together. And after about a few weeks and maybe a month, you know, the drill sergeant, he started, you know, I guess seeing guys that he thought would be men to be put in charge of certain things. Not for any other reason than he, whatever reasons he had. And then he began to appoint people. You're going to do this, you're going to do this, you're going to do this. And the poor guy that got you know, got appointed the, uh, the leader of our squadron, all of a sudden that guy was our enemy. It was like, you know, before that, before he got appointed this responsibility, he was one of the guys. Now he's, well, who does he think he is? Oh, he thinks he can run. He, you know, poor guy, he didn't ask for it. And, he, and, and you don't say, oh, no, sir, we really, I, would, I don't want to do it. No, you do it. He was appointed the responsibility. But now all of a sudden, everybody thinks the worst of him. And that's kind of like what happened with Joseph here. So, again, uh, we, we jump ahead 20 years now. After, again, 20 years earlier, he was given the responsibility of overseer of his family. Now we jump ahead 20 years, and we're in Egypt here with him. And he's also now able to return to his former responsibilities of overseeing his family. Right after revealing himself to his brothers, Joseph began to take care of his family, like a shepherd tends to, the, to his flock. And right away, Joseph started making plans for his father's family to move to Egypt. Remember, because of the famine and the food was there, and, and, and Joseph was going to take care of them. He was going to give them food, and he was going to give them a place to live, and, and he was going to take care of his family, you know, because of this, this terrible famine. And so a shepherd's responsibility is to take charge of his flock. And Joseph was soon giving heartfelt, really sincere instructions to his brothers you know, after he revealed himself to them. 
So he instructed his brothers, he told them to go to Canaan. I want you to go to Canaan. I want you to go get your father, our father, and their families and bring them back to Egypt to live. So Joseph, being a good shepherd, he wanted all of his flock, that is his father's family and his family as well, to be in Egypt where he could take care of them and he could be with them. Egypt had better pasture land, better protection, and it provided a really good place for Joseph's family to live. So the principles that Joseph gave his brothers, they teach us some important truths about the service of believers as they serve the great shepherd, Jesus Christ. Right after Joseph revealed himself to his brothers, he had them go to work for him. It was the least his brothers could do for what, for what Joseph had done for them. And if the brothers were obligated, if the brothers were obligated to serve Joseph, how much more obligated are we to serve Jesus Christ? Jesus has rescued us from more than just earthly judgment. He's rescued us from eternal judgment and brought us into abundant blessings. And it was all because of grace. All because of grace. Like Joseph's brother's transgressions, which were great, so were ours. But the Lord's grace is greater. Now Jesus asks us to serve. He asks us to serve him. And it only makes sense that we do. Paul said in Romans 12:1, present your bodies a living sacrifice to God, which is your reasonable service. I can't imagine Joseph's brother telling Joseph, hey, bro, you know, we're too busy to do the things that you asked us to do. Yet that's exactly what many of God's people do after God has done so much for them. Joseph's brothers were sent on a mission. They had something they needed to tell their father when they got home. Joseph told his brothers that their mission was, in chapter 49 here, notice verse 9, notice what it says, chapter 49, 45, verse 9. He says, go up to my father and say to him. So that was his mission. Go to dad and tell him what I have to tell you. This is kind of like the Lord's commission to the disciples in Matthew 16, 15, when Jesus said, go into all the world and preach. And what Joseph's brothers were to say is like what the believer is to preach. The message that Joseph had for his brothers was about a person. Joseph's brothers were to tell them about Joseph. He wanted him to go to his father and tell, them, tell him about him, Joseph himself. They were to tell Jacob about the good news that in verse 26 here of chapter 45, he was to tell them the good news, hey, dad, Joseph was still alive. He's still alive. The message that Joseph had for his brothers to tell their father, their message was to, to glorify Joseph because he told them to tell the father in chapter 45, verse 13, tell the father of all my glory in Egypt and of all that you have seen. So the brothers would tell Jacob that, that Pharaoh had made Joseph governor over all the land of Egypt. Verse 26 of here, verse 45. He would, they were to tell him, you know what, Dad? Pharaoh made Joseph governor over all the land of Egypt. So the believer's message is also about a person. Our message is about a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. And it's like the message about Joseph. It was good news. The message about Jesus Christ is good news. He's alive. He's risen. And the message is to glorify Christ. 
Just like he said in uh, verse 13 here, tell tell, tell their father of all my glory in Egypt and of all that you have seen. The message is to glorify Christ. So it will tell people in Philippians 2.9 that God has highly exalted him, that is Christ, and given him the name which is above every name. If the brothers hadn't given the good news about a living and glorified Joseph, their message to their father wouldn't have meant anything. They wouldn't have had a message. It would have had no value. There would have been no message. Now, in the same way, if a church doesn't preach the good news about a risen and glorified Christ, it has nothing to say. It has no value. There is no message. It's not going to help the people. There was also an invitation in the message. Joseph told his brothers in chapter 45, verse 9, to tell Jacob to come down to me. And by accepting the invitation to come, all of the great problems in his life would be solved. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, again, it doesn't, when we come to Christ, it does not solve all of our problems per se. But what it does do is enables me to deal with those problems. And thus they're solved. God's in control. God's going to take care of it. And I just need to, read, I just need to rest confidently in God and trust him for all of my difficulties. His problems at the time, it was Joseph's, uh, Jacob's problem, the, the father's problem, was, was a lot of grief at the time. There was a shortage of food, or to put it another way, a lack of fellowship with Joseph, which, caused, which was the cause of the sorrow and the grief, and a lack of food. So together, these two problems were about to finish off Jacob. They were about to do him in. And his grief couldn't survive. He couldn't handle any more problems. But by accepting the invitation to fellowship with Joseph, Jacob's grief would be so comforted that chapter 47, verse 28 says, Jacob lived for 17 years after he arrived in Egypt. See, by accepting the the invitation that Joseph had for him to come down to Egypt, I'm going to take care of you, it enabled Jacob to live 17 more years. The shortage of grain, hey, it was a serious problem. It was a life-threatening problem. And the famine was severely depriving Canaan of grain And it would soon be said in chapter 47, 13, the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan Canaan languished because of the famine. This would have meant death for Jacob and his family if they would have stayed in Canaan. But you see, by accepting Joseph's invitation to come solve the food shortage because Joseph said in verse 11 of chapter 45, he said, notice, I will provide for you. I'll provide for you. So Joseph's brother, for sure, had great news for Jacob in a time of great need. It changed his sadness into gladness. And it turned his, feasting, um, his famine into feasting. That's what the gospel message does. You know, apart from Christ, we're empty. We're starving, spiritually speaking. We're hurting. And some people just don't know it. And it it also gives an invitation to come. The message that we have from Christ is to come. And when a sinner accepts Christ's invitation to come, his greatest problem will be solved. Because the sinner, like Jacob, 
lacks both fellowship and food because sin has broke man's fellowship with God and it's brought sorrow as a result, like the sin of Joseph's brothers ended Jacob's fellowship with Joseph and it resulted in sorrow too. So unless fellowship with God is restored, the sinner will suffer eternal separation from God in the tormenting flames of hell. But the gospel is good news. It offers life-giving fellowship. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1.9, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So the sinner also needs food for his soul or he'll die of spiritual starvation. And that means eternal damnation. And Jesus said in John 6, 35, I am the bread of life, and he who comes to me shall never hunger. Jesus is the bread of life. <clears throat> and also what he says in John 6, 51, and verse 53 and 58, Jesus said, if anyone eats of this bread, speaking of himself, because he said, I'm the bread of life. If anyone eats of this bread, he will forever, uh, he will live forever, and the bread that I shall give is my flesh which I shall give for the life of the world. He said, most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink, and, and, and drink his blood. Again, this is not some kind of cannibalism. All right, you under, need to understand the symbolism. He said, most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. He said, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread, speaking of himself, which came down from heaven. That's a picture of manna in the Old Testament. When the manna rained down, there's a picture of the bread of heaven, Jesus Christ coming down in the future. He said, this is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead, but he who eats this bread, speaking of himself, will live forever. The point that he's making when he's talking about eating of me, eating this bread and drinking my blood, the bread must be taken in. You know, you can have a wonderful meal set before you at the table, but it does you no good unless it's taken in. His flesh had to become their own. Jacob's needs would be met in Joseph just like the sinner's needs will be met in Jesus Christ. The message that Joseph had for his father, he had for you know, his, his brothers to take to his father, the message was serious. It was urgent. Because in chapter 45, verse 9, it instructed Jacob to hurry. Do not tarry. Hurry up and come down to Egypt. Don't, don't wait any longer there in Canaan. Come right away. The urgency, to, the urgency to come was due to the fact that there were dangers in Canaan that were very serious. And the longer they stayed in Canaan would only prolong their problems. It could also eventually bring death. And the sooner he gets to Egypt, the better off he'll be. And it's very much like staying in this world, man, apart from Christ. And the longer you stay in this world apart from Christ, the dangers become so serious and eventually bring death, spiritual death. The message of the gospel has the same pressing need. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 6, 2, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. You see, those who don't know Jesus Christ, they need to come to him without delay. 
Being away from Jesus puts you in real great danger. And there's no benefit in waiting them to come to Christ. There's only danger. So how foolish it would be or would have been for Jacob to stay in Canaan. How much more foolish it is when a sinner stays in their sin and refuses to hurry to Christ for his salvation. In Joseph's message to his fathers, to his father, the message had to be proclaimed. The message was the reason for the mission. The message that Joseph had for his father was the reason for the mission. Go to my father and tell him that I'm alive. And the brothers credit, to the brothers credit, they faithfully went to the father and proclaimed the message. It says in chapter 45, verse 27, they told him, that is Jacob, all the words which Joseph had said to them, that is the brothers. So they went, the brothers went, and they told Jacob all the words that Joseph had to say to him. They didn't water down the message. The brothers didn't water down the message. The brothers told their, his, their father exactly what Joseph told, him, told them to tell him. They didn't change the message. They didn't modify it in any way. They told Jacob that Joseph was alive and that he was well and that he had a very honorable, he held a very honorable and glorified position. Now, the message was clearly not the easiest thing for the brothers to tell their dad. Because they thought he was dead. He thought he was dead. And especially because after the evil things that the brothers did to Joseph, this message would be very humiliating and shameful to tell. But it would have been worse for them not to have given their father the message. Believers, for different reasons, find it hard to proclaim the message that God gives them. Many times they're afraid of how somebody will respond. Uh, they, they're afraid they might be ridiculed, they'll be made fun of. So, you know, sometimes they find it hard to tell people about the message that God has for them. The thing is, man, we can't hesitate one bit to give the whole counsel of God. Every believer must be faithful to the message like Paul and Joseph's brothers were faithful to give the message to their dad. And by not telling it, again, it doesn't help anyone, but it hurts everyone. There was also some doubt about the, at first about the message that, that Joseph had for his father. In chapter 45, verse 26, it says, Jacob's heart stood still because he did not believe them. And that's understandable. For 20 years, Jacob has thought that his son Joseph was dead. And here comes the brothers with the message from Joseph. I want you to go tell that I'm alive and, 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 I'm, you know, I, and I hold a, an honorable position. And it says that the dad's heart stood still because he didn't believe them. And this is the way the disciples responded on that first Easter morning when Mary you know, was telling, hey, you know, Jesus is alive. I saw him. Mary Magdalene had seen Jesus. She had talked with him in the garden. And then she was instructed by Jesus, go tell the disciples the good news that I have risen from the grave. But what she told them at first, they didn't believe it. But again, this must never stop us from proclaiming the message that God has given us to tell. The brothers went. They continued to tell Jacob what Joseph told them to tell him even though Jacob didn't believe it at first. But we have to do the same thing. The message must be told whether people believe it or not. 
See, you got to remember, the results are in the Lord's hands. Our duty is to tell people about the message of Jesus Christ. And we pray that the Holy Spirit will bring conviction, that the Holy Spirit will cause them to repent. But again, that's the work of God. I'm to tell them the message. Once I've done that, I've done what God wants me to do. The results are come, that they belong to God. The results are, 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 you know, God's responsibility. They're in the Lord's hands. And when they don't believe it, we're not going to change it in any way to make it more believable. We just tell them the honest and true message. Don't modify it. Don't change it. Tell them what it is. Again, it's God's work to bring about the repentance. We are to keep telling the same message just like it was given to us, just like brother, Joseph's brothers did when they gave it to their father. And we must never discredit the truth. We don't, we don't have to beef up the truth. We don't have to embellish the truth. We just tell the truth. You know, God's word. And, and, and you know, because many reject it or laugh at it or whatever, never let us worry about changing it so that we make it more believable. Again, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, you know, gave his brothers... When, they went, when he told them to go tell dad that I'm alive, he gave his brothers quite a job to do. They were not only to tell him that he was alive, but they, he, they, were, to, they were to bring Jacob's family uh, back to Egypt, over 60 people, to bring them back to Egypt. Now, that wouldn't be an easy thing to do. But Joseph helped them to get the job done. It says in uh, chapter 45, verse 19, that he gave them carts to take his families and belongings to Egypt. Now, in this story, we see here the lesson that God enables his people to do what he's called them to do. God enables you for the service that he calls you to do. When God calls us to service, he also enables us for the service. His call is our enablement. No, if God calls, that means he's going to enable me to do it. We saw this demonstrated really well in Joseph's ring and the chain and, and, and the robe. Remember when, when Joseph uh, became second in command of Egypt? Remember what, the Pharaoh, what Potiphar did? He gave him a robe, he gave him a ring, he gave him a, a chain. Uh, he gave him all these things because they were symbols of power and authority. They were symbols that said, this is the man that you're responsible to. It says, this man can do what you need him to do. He can get the job done. So what Potiphar did, he gave them these things to enable him to do the job that he was given to do. And that's what God does with us. He doesn't call us to service and then just sit back, oh, now let me see how this guy is going to do that. No. He's called him. That means he's going to enable him. We see that here in the wagons, in the service that he's given Joseph to do. Go tell your father to bring his family to Egypt. How do, how do I do that? Well, the Pharaoh gave him, gave him wagons to do it. Again, he, he enables us for the service. And again, we see that in the wagons. Joseph furnished wagons for those that were serving him so that they could accomplish their missions. So you see, God will furnish the necessary needs and abilities for those that he's called to serve him. 
The empowering was also coupled together with a command, just like the call and the message. He called them to do something, and then he gave them the, he gave them the message. He gave them the call. Taking the wagons was ordered by Pharaoh and also by Joseph. In chapter 45, verse 19, it says, Now you are commanded, do this. Take carts out of the land of Egypt for your little ones and your wives and bring your father and come. So you see the empowering also was part of the principles that Joseph gave them for serving him. You know, we don't often look at, at, at our empowering as the principles to serve. But we would serve better if we did. It, again, it's, it's saying, okay, I feel that God has called me to do something. Or to do something particular, not just something, something particular. But what we do is we sit back and go, but I don't know how I'm going to do it. I'm not good at this, I'm not good at that, I, I can't speak, I can't, you know, I, I can't, I can't, I can't. Well, if God has called you, that means that you can. But God's going to provide whatever it is you need for Him to, to do what He's called you to do. And if we would recognize that, okay, I, I, God's called me to do this, automatically that means God's going to enable me to do it. God doesn't give us talents to use as we please. The talents, the empowering... The gift, they are all part of the command to serve. And I, and I think Moses is a great example. Moses tried his hardest to get out of being the deliverer, the deliverer of the children of Israel. When God called Moses to be the, the, the deliverer, in, chapter, uh, in, in Exodus chapter 3.10, God says, God says to Moses, Come now, <clears throat> therefore I will send you to Pharaoh. He says in verse 12 of chapter, oh no, God says, I will certainly be with you. All right, so he says, come now, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh. God says, I'm going to be with you. And then in Exodus chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 2, he tells Moses, because Moses was telling him, look, I can't go, you need to choose somebody. Then he says, Moses, what's that in your hand? Moses, it's a rod. And then in Exodus 4, 12, God says, I will be your mouth and I will teach you what to say. Now, you know, remember what the rod did. He performed all the miracles with that rod. So God says, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh. I'm going to be with you. What is that in your hand? I provided a tool, the rod. I'm going to be with your mouth. I'm going to teach you what to say. God's telling right there, I've called you to go to Pharaoh. I'm going to do all these things to enable you to do what I've called you to do. And if we accept this view of our abilities and our advantages, it will do a lot more to improve our attitude about serving God. We won't be so hesitant. We won't be so doubtful. Yeah, I don't have the talents to do things. But God has enabled me to do them. Joseph gave his brothers several serious exhortations to guide them in their service. He exhorted them to be fervent in fulfilling their commission. He exhorted them to be faithful in their behavior. In chapter 49, uh, 45, verse 9 and 13, notice what he says. Hurry and go. You shall hurry. Be fervent. Joseph told his brother, hurry and go. You shall hurry. That means to be fervent. Enthusiasm was to characterize Joseph's brothers. It was to characterize the fulfillment of what Joseph had commanded them to do. Do it in a hurry. Be enthusiastic. Be zealous. The task was important. Time was a factor so that so the job needed to be done with enthusiasm. 
And Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12, verse 11, he says, don't lag in diligence, be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Not lagging in diligence, that means don't be lazy. Be fervent in spirit, and the word fervent means to be red hot, white hot. Serving the Lord. That's the way believers should serve when it comes to serving the Lord. But many times we're more fervent about many other things like maybe sporting events or work or making money. But we should be fervent in serving the Lord. We should be faithful when it comes to serving the Lord. Joseph gave them a word of warning about their behavior. In chapter 45, 45 verse 24, he said, See that you do not become troubled along the way. Now what did he mean by that? He means, you guys, when you're coming back, don't be quarreling with each other about what happened. You know, quarreling whose fault it is and, and what they did and, 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 you know, just pointing fingers and making the blame. Don't be quarreling about what happened while you're making your way to Egypt. Don't be blaming each other and destroying the work that God is doing. You know, you can see if they would have gotten in an argument and just began blaming somebody, they, they could have been gotten in a bad fight over and said, you know, forget it, I'm not going, and I'm going, you know, I'm going back home and you guys go on your own. You see, they would have destroyed the work that God was doing in their lives. We've got to give them credit, though, because they listened to Joseph's exhortations. We need to listen to Joseph's exhortation today. So the family obeyed Joseph's instructions and they made it to Egypt. And when they got there, the first thing Joseph did was present himself to his father in chapter 46, verse 29. And Joseph wanted to appear to his dad in the honor and the glory that he held in Egypt. Now the word presented here in verse 46, 29. The word presented here is a translation of a Hebrew word that usually is usually used only of the appearance of God. The word is used here, though, to indicate the glory in which Joseph came to meet his father, which is different than when it's used in chapter 47, verse 2, when he presented himself to his father. Both words involve the basic idea of the meaning of our English word uh, in, in translation. They just differ in the way of presentation. Now, when Joseph said he wanted to present himself you know, in, in, in the glory that he held and the honor that he held in Egypt, he wasn't being prideful. It wasn't a glory of, of, of being prideful. There's no kind of sinful pride in this presentation that he wanted to make to his father. Instead, you know, it's like a lot of kids, even, even when they get older. It's the pride of a son showing his beloved father that he has performed in such a way that will thrill and honor his father. You know, kids do that. We do it as adults. We love to show our parents that, hey, we've done something good and we want to thrill them with the works that we've done and, and, and you know, and, and bless them. And that's what Joseph was doing. Hey, I want to show my dad, man, that I made it good in life, that I've done good in Egypt, and, you know, God has blessed me, and I held an honorable position, and, and just, you know, to just bless his dad. And, and as we know, a child who loves his parents, hey, they will want to do well to please their parents. Jacob had trained Joseph in his early years, and now Joseph could show Jacob how well that training paid off. And you know, God says that we are to raise our children in the admonition and the training of the Lord. 
so that one day they will grow up and they will be you know, productive members of society. It was a wonderful reunion of a father and son here. I mean, who could, who could truly put into words what Jacob and Joseph felt when they first saw each other for the first time here in over 20 years? Because when Joseph left that day, 20 years earlier, to go check on his brothers like his father had asked him to, neither Joseph nor his dad would have ever thought that they wouldn't see each other again for over 20 years, or ever see each other, period. But, not, but even, you know, for over, in over 20 years. And what would bring them together after all those many years? You know, how would that happen? All God. God, all those... Sometimes when God's at work, it doesn't happen right away. Right away. But that's where the faith and the trust comes in and the waiting, the patience. And so, again, neither him nor his dad would have ever thought they would ever see each other again. And, and, and God was behind everything, working it out. God had been behind the scenes all along, arranging all the events that took place so that Paul would one day say, all things work together for good for those that love God. All things. And all things means all things. Even tragedies but again that's a whole nother story because can there really be a tragedy in a Christian's life I shared that before but if God's in control how can it be a tragedy but that's a study for another time but anyway you know God was in control he was behind the scenes working everything out arranging all of the events that, that, that Joseph experienced and the brothers and the dad and, and arranging all these things that would take place so again all of those things would work together for good for those that love God. What a difference between Joseph and his 10 older brothers. His older brothers had lived lives of disgrace and deceit. So that's the only way that they could present themselves. They could only present themselves, the 10 older brothers could only present themselves as liars and deceivers. How sad. Joseph, on the other hand, he obeyed his father so he could come before his father in glory of an honorable life. And someday we're going to stand before our Heavenly Father. What kind of presentation will we be able to make before God? Liars and deceivers? Or obedience? Will it be a child? Will we appear before the Father like a child who, who through faithful living has brought much joy and honor to the Heavenly Father? Or will we be like one disobedient child whose life has brought a lot of shame and disgrace to the Heavenly Father? It would be great if we could live such a life that we could say like Jesus said in John 8, 29, I always do those things that please him. Speaking of his father. Jesus, I always do those things that please the father. I mean, what a, what a, that would be a great delight and a great honor to the Lord. And then Jesus, I'm sorry, Joseph in chapter 47, verse 2, presented five of his brothers and his father to Pharaoh. Before Joseph presented them to Pharaoh, he instructed them in what to say. In chapter 46, verse 33 through 34, Joseph instructed his brothers what to say. He said to them, when Pharaoh calls for you and asks you about your occupation, you must tell him. We're, we, your servants, have raised livestock all of our lives as our ancestors have always done. 
When you tell him this, he will let you know, I'm sorry, he will let you live here in the region of Goshen because the Egyptians despise shepherds. So the question that Pharaoh asked the brothers was, what do you do for a living? And that's, that's a, a heart-searching and humbling question. It's heart-searching because it causes the person answering the question to think about, yeah, what is it that I'm doing? Many heartaches and many problems and many frustrations would be eliminated if we asked ourselves often, what is my occupation? What is it that I'm doing? Not that we have a, a, a regular job, but we're often occupied with wrong things. We're often doing what's forbidden, and we're often practicing what isn't necessary. We need to make sure that we are occupied with acceptable things to the Lord at all times. Pharaoh's question was also humbling, and especially here, because the brothers were shepherds. Now, shepherds, man, they were on the lowest rung of the ladder of society. It's said here that the Egyptians despised shepherds because it wasn't a respected job. In, verse, in chapter 46, 34, it says the Egyptians despised. So by the brother, Pharaoh was a very privileged ruler. And Pharaoh received, because of Jacob, some of the best blessings that any ruler could have because Joseph was a blessing to Pharaoh. Those who are in a covenant with God will prove to be the best, bless, the best blessings that a nation could have. Joseph was like a good shepherd. He took care of his family flock and he provided for them. In chapter 47, verse 11, it says, Joseph situated his father and his brothers and gave them a position, I'm sorry, a possession in the land of Egypt in the best of the land. Joseph couldn't have found better land in all of, it, of Egypt to provide a place for his family to live. And we need to remember, again, he's a type of Christ. The welfare of, of God's children are of great concern to God. In chapter 47, verse 12, it says, Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with bread, with food. Joseph was more than able to do this because he, he had unlimited resources, being the second in command of all Egypt. He could provide for his family everything that they needed, like our family, our, our Heavenly Father, can provide everything that we need. Joseph promised to take care of his family, and he kept that promise. And when Jesus is our great shepherd in the end, we also will have all of our needs met. Not all of our wants, all of our needs. As Philippians 4.19 says, according to his riches in glory. But in order to have our needs met, we have to be obedient to the voice of the great shepherd. When Joseph told his father's family to come to Egypt, he said, there, he said, there in Egypt, I will provide for you. Chapter 45.11. That word there, and, and I've shared this before, when you go through scripture as you're reading, and when God says, I will, do, I will meet you there, or I will bless you there, underline that word there, because that is a very significant word, because he says there. He's not saying over here or over there or somewhere else. If you want to receive the God, God's blessing, you have to be where he wants you to be. And that's what we see here. When Joseph told his father's family to come to Egypt, he said it was there, nowhere else, I will provide for you. Joseph said, you have to come to Egypt. There's where I provide for you. Jesus said in John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. That's the key. 
to Jesus hearing your voice. That's the key to Jesus blessing you. They follow me, Jesus said. They don't take detours. They follow me. Jacob would get what he needed when he went there to Egypt, the place where he was instructed to go. Elijah also learned this truth on many occasions in life. When God ordered Elijah to dwell by the book Cherith, he said in 1 Kings 17, 4, I have commanded the ravens to feed you there at the book Cherith. Not at some other brook or some other river. And people might say, well, what's the difference? The difference is God said there. Not anywhere else is where you're going to receive the blessing. Being there is being in the will of God. If we want to receive the blessings of God, we have to be in the will of God. And the same principle was taught to the prophet Jeremiah. And we'll see this next week, and we're going to be in chapter 18. Once God instructed Jeremiah in 18.2, he said to Jeremiah, Go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear my words. Many times we don't hear God's word. We don't hear him speak to us because we're not there. We're not in the place that we're supposed to be. We might be out of God's will. We might be in sin, which separates us from God. Later on, when God told Elijah to go to Zarephath to live, he said in 1 Kings 79, I have, I'm sorry, 1 Kings 17:9, he says, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. In Zarephath, not the city next door, not the city across town. He said, there in Zarephath, I have commanded a widow to take care of, to provide for you there. So both the physical and spiritual needs are best found in obeying God's there requirements. Christians often forget the there part of God's promises. So they fail to have the needed provisions supplied because they're not there. So in closing, <clears throat> every, promise, every promise has a there to it. That's why I say when you go through the scriptures and you see where God points out a specific place, underline it to remind you, I have to be there. I have to be where God tells me to be in order to receive his blessings, in order to hear his word. I have to be there. And like I said, Christians often forget the their part of God's promises, so they fail to have the needed provisions applied. Every promise has a there to it. And if the child of God fails to heed the there in the promises, or in the, uh, in the promise, his blessings are going to be limited. Joseph was truly a great family shepherd. He was wise. He had the heart of a faithful shepherd who wouldn't forsake his flock but would rather, give, uh, uh, would rather have them to get, uh, uh, gather them together in love and to provide for them and to honor them. And Joseph had the hand of a strong shepherd because he was powerful enough to protect his flock in the midst of both famine and foreigners. So again, Joseph, always been, he's a picture of Christ in everything that he did. So may we learn from Joseph. May we take these these. these pictures here and apply them to their life and remembering that their place is a super important place where God wants us to be Father we thank you so much again for this, uh, this study in, in Joseph's life God and Lord what a 
What a wonderful character. And of course, again, it's the character of Christ God. And help us to be like Joseph in all that we do. In reality, it's being like Jesus, Lord. So Father, may we read from your scriptures. May we apply them to our lives, God. And may we be faithful shepherds of of whatever it is that you've given us to do, whatever our responsibility is, God. May we fulfill it. May we be faithful in it. And may we be there in the place that you've called us to be, God. So we thank you, Lord. Bless, bless your people, Lord, and protect them as they go their way, Lord, and, and have your hand upon them. Bless their week. And uh, God, I pray again that we'll just meet together Wednesday and continue, Father, uh, studying your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.